0: Vlad here, the host of Burgundy Radio. The following episode was recorded prior to the Avalanche returning home from their two-game road trip to face the Ottawa Senators at Ball Arena. Unfortunately, this episode did not get published prior to the outcome of that game. As a result, this conversation may seem slightly dated given the outcome of that contest, but we hope you enjoy this episode all the same.
1: We thank you for listening, and with that, let's start the show. This episode of Burgundy Radio is brought to you by
0: the Pacific Northwest. Thanks for being the catch of the day.
2: Avs coming close. Here's Ranson with a shot. Another power play goal. The Avs are three for four against the Canucks so far this year, and they open the scoring. 15 seconds to go. And pass blocked. Grantman. Landis And a 4-2 lead for Colorado. The empty netter for the captain of the Avalanche.
0: And that'll seal it for the visitors. Rebound loose. Burakovsky scores! Kyle Machuskin, just his fifth game of the
2: year, gets his second goal of the year. What a wrist shot by Kale McCarr. Top shelf.
0: Burakovsky
2: rips it and scores! Andre Burakovsky. Here comes McCar with Sherwood. McCar
0: saved by Grubauer. Rebound. Goal! As have it without Ranson and Danson. Eric Johnson. Shot score! New hook. Saved. Rebound in the net. Nicholas Avey kubel gets his first goal. As a member of the Avalanche, his first goal this year.
2: Kyle's favorite spot, what is it? 7 hole. And after 22 years, Raymond Moore!
0: Greetings one and all, near and far. Reaching your ears wherever you are. Welcome to Burgundy Radio. I am Vlad, your host of Burgundy Radio. Joining our starting lineup is Earl 06. Earl, how you doing? I am well, Vlad. Thank you. Good. Also joining us is Tiger Vixen. Jackie, how you feeling?
3: I'm actually good today.
0: All right. When we last graced your digital airwaves, the Avs were about to head to the Pacific Northwest to rematch against the Vancouver Canucks at Rogers Arena in Vancouver. Miko Rantanen got the scoring started on the power play in the first period, but the Avs seemed pretty content to keep things where they were right after that. Unlike the Brazil on home ice the week before, Vancouver put in a little more effort into this game, getting goals from Connor Garland and Tucker Pullman in the second and third period, until Nazem Kadri would tie the game on the power play. Kale McCarr would put the abs ahead 3-2 on the power play, thanks to an assist by Quinn Hughes, more on that later. And Gabe Landeskog would score an empty netter to cap things off with a 4-2 final. With the exception of that last goal by Landeskog, none of the goals the Avs scored came at 5v5 play. Is this more of a case of ineptitude on the part of the Avs being unable to take advantage of a weak Vancouver team at 5v5? Or is it more of a case of ineptitude on the part of Vancouver, who kept paying the stupid tax courtesy of the penalty box?
3: <laughs> this I, game was frustrating, honestly.
2: I think it was, yeah, it was quite frustrating. I, the Avs really started well i mean i i think we all enjoyed about the first 10 minutes um and then there was a shift with the fourth line and the third pair um where they grounded out a little bit in the offensive zone which is fine um but then it transitioned back to the AV zone and the fourth line and the third pair forgot to change so they ended up being on the ice for quite a while, and even though they were just grinding around and, and giving up some fairly non-dangerous shots, <clears throat> um, that really sort of transferred the momentum to Vancouver, and and the, and the Avs really never recovered from that, um, if really ever in the game. I mean, if you look at the the push-pull chart, from then on, like Vancouver was dominating possession and uh, shot share and everything like that. And the Avs just managed to win this by having a, a decent power play against a terrible penalty kill. So
3: It's yeah, it's like it's, the Avs it's, it's something tried to give it away. It's like the yeah, it's, Avs try to give it away and then Vancouver tried to give it away. And you know, it was like the better team prevailed.
2: Right. And you know, Jackie, you've said this many times. Like, it's tough to beat a team, you know, twice in in a row, basically. Um, you know, the, the, or the same team in in,
1: plus in like to a week. S- <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. So, you know, the if you're the Avs, you're looking at the Brazil the week before. You're like, how can we improve on this? And you know, you're really having to react to whatever the other team does, and you know, for what it's worth, Vancouver played a, a fairly strong defensive game um, from that shift I was talking about. Forward, they really, they were really good at clogging up the middle and, and controlling the middle of the ice. And the Avs had a lot of um, quick possessions with with not a lot of productive shooting and everything like that. And not that the a- Canucks were very dangerous. Um, but it, but at least they weren't giving up the kind of chances they were giving up the week before in Denver.
3: We look at the natural stat trick graph of the session, and it it's one of the starkest ones I can remember. Just a total nosedive down to the abs for that first 10 minutes, and they just gave it all back by the end of the first period. And then the second didn't get much better. And then, yeah. um. so I... Th- I think they have to be mindful of that. Like Earl just said that if you just thought you were gonna come out and Brazil them again, you're wrong because this is the NHL and, and those guys get paid too. But um and we'll look at the lineup and say the lineup's always different. That that was their first game without Comfort and and oh, no. they just have to I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, Conford on the top line. But okay, I'll give them the point that it's hard to find consistency when these guys have new line mates every night. This, that, and the other. But when you come out and you can dominate 10 minutes and then you just basically stop doing all the things that were making you successful, that's disappointing. Like, you look at the end of the day, they won this game, they came back from behind in the third period. Like, these are all things that they they're going to need to be able to do be able to pull out a game when you, maybe you don't have your best or when you're down or whatever. But just the way this unfolded left me pretty unsettled. I just didn't like it. The th- it was 30 minutes of bad. And then Vancouver had the lead. In the like usually that's a death knell. is when you're playing bad and then you give up the lead and then they get that lead in the third period it was the Vancouver let me put field. up a
2: counterpoint here though <laughs> if they had scored that goal right off the bat in the third period and they went up 2 to 1 like you know we we saw that situation in Columbus right against Columbus twice where that was that was not good so maybe it was better they got the wake up call and they had to actually motivate to do something about it rather than try and hold on to a lead that there was that was very tenuous at at best
3: sure i think maybe down the road it helps they they need to learn how how to do these things and and to come back from behind which i think was missing in their toolkit last year so at the end of the day maybe it's beneficial but you just don't like seeing them pretty much check out for 30 minutes and then the only reason why they really got back in the game was because vancouver's penalty kill is just so bad Usually I'd say, <laughs> like, okay, counting on the Iowa's power play to win the game for you, that that's not something you're really going to bet money on either. But, hey, they converted when they needed to. They got two of those power play goals. Well, the one, the Makar one, was a four on three. But, hey, they put the puck in the net and they won the game. So I will give them credit for that. But we just can't f- forget entire middle portion of this game you can't play that poorly against a bad team that has no confidence <laughs> <laughs> they're they just so beat down like you could just tell vancouver is so beat down
0: you could just tell at least from the, on the app side of things once they got that first goal by by miko it was like they were just pulling their luxury sports car into the valet spot <laughs> at the local you know five-star hotel and they just said park the car darcy we'll be at the bar and then you learn (laughs) that darcy Kemper can't you know drive manual for about 30 minutes and then you have to go out there and help him yeah um and it seems like you know as much as we may have
2: been a second period team last year that's sort of the opposite this year um and the second period seems to be when Kemper has been shining in you know the, this last sort of streak where they're playing better. <clears throat> um you know, and even going back to the Columbus games.
1: so, um, you know, it, it I, I think if you're Jared Bednar, you're looking at these games and you're like,
2: you know, th- this is this was not a sixty minute effort, gentlemen. This is not what we're striving for. So, um you know we're we're lucky we're kind of playing bottom of the barrel teams from the bad division but uh, yeah it's
3: it's so refreshing when they have like no tight checking against them it's like wow what a world right but, and it, but they escaped with those two points like they needed to get on the plane and get out of there <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah and as much as the the power play has been maligned uh, During this winning streak, it's been very good. Um,
3: And that's fine. Power plays need to win you games. We mean, we've seen that. You don't want to rely on special teams in the long run, but...
2: You need something from
4: them.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like a third period power play goal wins you a game. So that's two points. You're going to complain about that? Absolutely not.
2: Yeah. No, and it's, you know, on in the, in these last four wins, they're eight for 17, you know, after being sort of in the, you know, sort of 12 to 15% range for most of the season before that, you know, it's like being around 50% for a few games. That's, you know, obviously that's not realistic, but it, you know, they're executing, they're getting it done. They, they know what it feels like to score some goals on the power play now um, and they've done it in a, a pretty wide variety of styles. So you know, maybe we've injected a little bit of creativity back into the power play without McKinnon there. And
3: I think it's possible. I mean, I especially like the four-on-three goal from McCar, which moved him in a different position, and it was on the left circle, and and he's able to shoot better from over there, which obviously was part of it being a four-on-three, but. This is something that we've kind of pounded the table for: is that they're going to be a lot more successful if they move Makar around, especially because when he can be used in a shooting position, he, I just think he and the power play be so much more dangerous.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it if you look exactly like the film that the team has watched preparing for the game, it's not that hard for them to stifle you, um, and I and I think what we've seen with Mac out is that there's, you know, there's not a lot of film that these teams can look at to say like, this is what these guys are going to do. It's just, they're not doing the same thing when they go out there all the time. Um, And and this sounds like an indictment of Mac, but it's like, you know, when, when you have a guy that that's that successful, um, you know, just sort of over the past few years on the power play, it's really hard to get away from that.
3: Well, you get in a rut. And and you're yeah. always looking yeah. to force that that play. It's like they have free, three plays. They either try to force it to him or get the cross ice past to Miko or then Makar can shoot from the blue line.
2: Right. Those are your three and, plays and it's very predictable. And now that it's not, it's actually having a lot of success. And again, these are bad teams and this isn't you know, this isn't gonna happen against every team, but you know if you are a team with a decent penalty kill, looking at these power plays that the abs have had over the last four games, you're like, you know that this is this is now more a question of fighting a system rather than fighting two or three really talented guys.
3: Well, it everything builds on each other, right? Like, yeah, you can beat a bad team, but scoring goals, being successful on the power play, holding a lead or coming back from behind. These are all habits that you build. Yeah. So so if you do it against a bad team, at least you've done it. At least you're, you've had that experience and then hopefully bring it down the line. So I, I definitely don't take it away from them that this was bad because you still had to execute. You still had to put the puck in the net and win the game.
2: Right. I mean, that's that's what they were faced with in the third period against Vancouver. It's like, you know, we just killed these guys, and now we're down 2-1, and there's less than 20 minutes left. You know, how are we going to win this? We, you know, it, it came down to that power play, the first one. You're like, you know, this is where we got to tie the game. And they did. So it's like they... The confidence they get from doing something like that, when maybe... Earlier in the season, they would have gone out and sprayed a few shots around and not scored. And then that was, you know, leading to more problems in the third and they end up losing.
3: Yeah, they could have easily lost that game.
0: It's highly unusual that we have to wrap my mind around the fact that we're talking about uh, the lack of the top center for the avalanche in terms of the power play in the sphere of a competitive advantage.
3: It is. And I know I've been tough on him, but I think for him and for the team to kind of take a step back and learn how to do things without trying to force it to him, I think will be beneficial in the long run. Because yeah, to obviously, him too. Yeah, exactly. I think he needs to take a step back. I think he needs to stop like stressing out so much because he hasn't really scored a goal. And then hopefully when he gets back, and the team's humming along, then he can fit in better. He doesn't feel like he has to do everything, and they don't have to try to force it to him. So I think, in a way, it is a positive. They needed to take a step back from him, but obviously they're going to need him and his talent and goal scoring ability moving forward.
0: And All right, Earl and Earl, as you said, you know, teams are used to game planning against the power play with McKinnon on it. So with the lack of available film that opponents can use to try to game plan against it. Again, it's, it's weird to think in terms of these are assets now that the ads had to make them a more uh, well-rounded and complete opponents. But it's, but here's, this is the world we're living in right now, at least until he comes back.
2: Right. And also and, and Ray Bennett has ha the much maligned Ray Bennett has this film now to be able to show the guy saying like, maybe during a time when, when the power play goes back to struggling a bit, you know, he has this to show them like, all right, remember when we did this, Um, you know, when you I guys switched so. up, like, it drew the defense over here. And then that left this guy wide open. And that's why we scored. It's like, we need to do things like that. And so he has more to be able to put into his own game plan.
3: The of creativity has always been an issue. And I just don't know this is kind of like forced creativity. I don't know if they would go back to like actually purposely being creative. Like we saw in the Seattle game, which we'll talk about it And the camera angle was from behind the nets. So it's a little hard to compare, but it did definitely look like they were trying to run the power play more down low, more through Miko, which is something that should absolutely be in their back pocket and not just when McKinnon's gone.
2: Well, I, I mean I do think they try to run it through Miko and I think that's one reason why they they wanted Comfort or someone with a right-handed shot to be the bumper guy um
3: well yeah for that one timer but I mean truly running it through Miko where because that that one that they scored the first one they scored with Burkovsky on the rebound like McCarve wasn't even touch he was at the top of the blue at the blue line he wasn't even really touching it like they were working it all within the forwards and I'm not saying thats some sort of grand long-term strategy is to not have McCarr touch the puck on the power play, but it just shows how much they were running it through Miko at that point, where he was the one that was quarterbacking it so much that McCarr was just kind of like left out in in the yonder,
2: right? And that only benefited him. Um, but again, it's like it, when you're when you are a team that's preparing for the Avs power play, and you're like, oh, so we have to prepare for more than McKinnon, um. <laughs>
3: Or the cross eyes pass to Miko.
2: <laughs> well, I, as far as like who's going to be controlling the puck mainly, um, you know, because they could they could kind of cheat a strong side over to Mac, and then they usually have at least one guy shadowing him the whole power play. Um, and then, you know, now and if, just if, if you have talented... Miko running the power play, then it's like then you've got a four on three. With Mac and his shadow on the, uh, on the weak side, kind of thing. And it's, you know, it just it really opens up a lot more strategic things.
3: There's just way too many talented players on that power play for it to be something where the opponent can take out one guy and pretty much shut it down. Right. <clears throat> but hey, it was successful. Hopefully, that's something you can build on. I guess we need to even discuss why they had the four on three. We can't let this game go without going there.
0: Correct. So let's uh, talk a little (laughs) bit about Quinn Hughes, shall we? Uh, So fans on both sides of, you know, the debate on which defenseman is better have been making hay over this for some time now. On this particular night, however, it'd be Sam Girard that wound up getting the better of Hughes in that third period with a huge hit on him. Hughes would then make a choice between doing what any sensible defender in his position would do and then proceed to do the exact opposite in retaliating by cross-checking Gerard in the back, which snapped his stick in the process, off he goes to the <laughs> penalty box. And Makar says, "Thank you very much." And abs up three two. It's unfortunate that the score the score sheet didn't show Hughes with an assist, but mm-hmm. in our heart of hearts, I guess we can give our it was pretty here. funny
3: because that that Gerard put on on the boards was pretty good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah he crushed him you know
3: and it pissed him off it pissed Hughes off so much yeah that, that's.
2: and it was an extremely selfish play by Hughes like you can just see like if you're the other Vancouver players and you end up losing that game because of that play you know it's like I I don't think I'd be very happy about that
3: I also say truly though Petterson looked awful like I don't know what happened to that guy he just Yeah, he just could do nothing with the puck. I it's not that I don't think the guy has the talent that everybody thought he did, but he's in a really bad spot. He's definitely got to figure it out for Vancouver to turn it around.
2: Yeah, I mean, because if you look at that team, like, yeah, there's some Jim Benning problems where there's some bad players in places they ought not to be, but.
3: You like know, Besser, is a regular for some reason. Yeah, I know. Like
2: That's that awesome. was your
3: plan in the off season.
2: <laughs> but you know, it's like you still have Besser, you still have Pete, you still have Horvat. I mean that there's some there's some talent there that could be doing a lot better than
1: the record indicates. <laughs> it's fun. I mean, I, I
2: think involving and more and getting him, you know, in up a scoring, to that level,
3: Yeah, and it. I thought he played okay but yeah they definitely need him to like score more and put him in more offensive situations
2: Yeah I, I mean I you know they've gone through so many off-ice things you know with the the GM meeting with the press and everything like that but I mean you really have to think that they're going to have to make a coaching change pretty soon um, And they
3: did get their revenge on Friday night is Vancouver beat Winnipeg. So it's and possibly have has a, it.
2: a penalty kill that definitely loses <laughs> them games constantly.
3: <clears throat> Which is bizarre, but you know, like you said, I like Hello the talent Buck didn't play Vancouver. that
2: game, just so you know.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I like that. Like you said, I like the talent on Vancouver. I don't hate them just because I enjoy a lot of those players. And Connor Garland, too, huge board yeah i enjoy a lot of their offensive players so i do want to see them get it together obviously not the abs expense but
2: right i mean you you want to see a team built like that be able to have some success because it's like they're not you know a a grindy you know what we envision a pacific team being like you know they really do try to to win on skill And it's sort of a a good versus evil thing. You want to see a team like that be able to have success.
0: I found it personally amusing that there were three former Arizona Coyotes that were playing in this game collectively, and the goalie ended up winning.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Who is the other? I mean, obviously Kemper and Garland. Who's the other one?
1: OEL. OEL, yeah.
3: Oh, okay. I think he was okay there. They're just asking him to do too much.
2: I think their defensive structure is not so hot. And I I, I think obviously that manifests itself on their penalty kill the worst, but, uh, you know, we we saw it at the beginning of, of this game that they just had nothing. And then finally it clicked after that shift that i was talking about that they are like oh okay yeah we got to remember to stay in the middle and not allow everybody to skate right through it Um, and then from then on it it worked pretty good but it yeah there were times in the early part of that game you're like what are these guys doing i mean it's nothing like we saw last night with seattle but um
1: you know the when they don't play with that structure they're screwed Speaking of Seattle,
0: Avs make their first ever trip to Climate Pledge Arena this past Friday. To face the Kraken, first time in franchise history for both clubs. Fans were surely disappointed, but the long-awaited matchup between the Avs and former Seattle legend Curtis McDermott would just have to wait a little bit longer. (laughs) Chris (laughs) Chris Dracher <laughs> would get the start over former Avs goaltender Philip Grubauer, but it took four consecutive goals off the six of Andrew Burakovsky, twice, Valerian Chushkin, shorthanded, and Kale McCarr in just over 25 total minutes of game time for Grubauer to get the call. The Avs would then add three more goals to the score sheet on their old pal, Makar with his second of the night, Eric Johnson with his second of the season, and newest Avalanche acquisition, Nicholas Obekubel, capping off the scoring at seven goals, The Avs would then lose the shutout bid for Kemper early in the third. And then their latest attempt for the Brazil would be lost with another two goals coming from Seattle, resulting in a 7-3 final score. So what can we draw out of this one? Clearly, Seattle's having a a rough go
1: right now.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, as much as I was frustrated with the Avs in the middle of the Vancouver I don't care about what happened in that third period. I... Not blaming them one for giving them the three goals. The third one, Kemper definitely didn't seal the post, but the other two were just uh, penalty kill goals off really stupid penalties. And that game was so over after 40 minutes. So I guess the Abs needed to
1: 25. This was
3: just <laughs> a total beatdown. It yeah, it was over after the third goal. Like Seattle knew they were just done, and it's hilarious what whatever the reasoning was that they wouldn't let like, Grubauer face his old team. I don't really understand what what, been, what went behind that decision. It kind of sounded like it wasn't like Grubauer's idea or decision. So I don't know. They were trying to save him or not embarrass him or something. And it's hilarious that he just ended up playing anyway.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, what they talked about on the, on the broadcast, which was horrible, um, that they they wanted to take Gruber out for you know about a week or so and have him work on some fundamental stuff and then come back hopefully refreshed and more effective. Um, but he played like two games. Maybe day, that's days true. Ago. I don't know. It seems a little convenient like to take him out for the two games against his former teams, but <laughs>
3: <laughs> Well, he played two nights ago, whoever they played on Wednesday. I don't remember who that was, but it's not like he's been out the whole week where you could say okay like he's in his rest and
2: um, no it wasn't a rest that- thing like they 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 think he I mean again and this is sort of Butcher Gross and Ray Ferraro talking um, that they you know obviously they can't continue with goaltending this bad so you know they need to punch up his game a little bit and have him take a week to you know, work on some things.
3: But like I said, and he played It's awful played on convenient Wednesday. that he
2: was playing the Avs in the Capitals that week, but <laughs> <laughs> so well, I don't played- know how true that is, but
3: <laughs> the Blackhawks on Wednesday. Um, I'm trying to see when their next game is. Yeah, I guess they are playing Washington next. So I guess we'll see. And yeah, obviously yeah. they uh they played they paid Dreger a decent sum of money, so they should use him at some point. But I mean, come on, let let's be real. You you don't play him on a Wednesday against Chicago and then just say, Oh, he, he's in his little pause or rest or whatever you want to call it, reset all of a sudden when they play the abs.
2: <laughs> yeah. And Especially then, when it wasn't something they like announced you know, pretty much right after that Chicago game. Um, you know, the th- we I like guess it was still kind of up in the air, <laughs> at least as, at least publicly, whether Grubauer was going to start until yesterday. So,
3: but then he played anyway. So it's just um, that was just silly. I don't know. I yep. I'm sure he would have wanted to play that game. So just let the guy play that game. I I don't know. Grubauer strikes me as a guy that's a little bit proud, and of course, what professional athlete isn't? But I think he's a little bit further along on the spectrum on that. So I don't think. <laughs> going to be very thrilled about it
2: yeah and, and again like what we're what exactly we're um speculating about here you know i'm sure he's aware of that like if he doesn't play that game you know what are people going to think like you know gonna are, think, are like, people going to think, he think that he said don't play, play me against the abs i don't want to get torn up or you know
3: <laughs> yeah know. and i i really don't think that was his decision and then he played it and it didn't look the game was over, but the same thing, especially when I was watching Seattle earlier on in the year, is he's just he's overplaying. He's over he's out of his crease a lot like everything just looks like desperation and
1: yeah, I mean, kind of get it,
3: back to his structure. I think he's a good goalie. I just think it's dumb that they made this whole production of saving money and they didn't want to get Tarasenko and then these other guys that were unprotected, but that's what they blew the wad on. And then they trade yeah, Vanek I mean, back to Washington, who's been amazing for a second-round pick. It's like <laughs> you guys really screwed that up. Yeah, they would have been fine with Dreger and Vanek. Like um, that's not even a hindsight thing. Like that would have been a more than fine tandem for them. Yeah. And for, then they for just what went they have s- in
2: front of them, sure. Um, <laughs> and I was watching Seattle, and this is the first game I've seen them play. Um, just, just to, to see what they had as far as a structure in front of their goalie and in the defensive zone. And it you know, it's a Dave Haxtell is, is a really bad coach. Um, and just sort of the same things that he's been criticized for over his career is, is what was on display. They just, they didn't have a lot of structure in the defensive zone. Yes, they, they they kind of tried to suppress shots against by possession in the offensive zone, and you know they they do generate a fair amount of shots. But uh, when you're when you're allowing guys to go through your layers that quick, it's just I mean, like Nuke's goal, even though it was a shorthanded goal, it, it was one of those where. You know, it's like two guys fell down and like, all right, what are we going to do? Oh my God, look at him go. And it's, you know.
3: Yeah, like nobody. <laughs> <laughs> back. Like Nobody just, knew that. They're like, hey, guy at the top, top of the umbrella here needs to back check.
2: Right. Yeah. It's just like, you know, it's, it's, things that Bednar talks about all the time, sort of the responsibility, the details, things like that. I mean, that's just a lot of the stuff that you didn't see. Um, I think
3: they try to be a defensive team, and that game got away from them so fast that it's hard to tell like what a actually like a competitive game would look like against them. Yeah, but, like um, Ray
2: Ferraro was saying at the beginning of the game, like they need to score first, or it's probably not going to go so well. And then you know <laughs> he was right; like... <laughs> he was really right on that. Um, because what, I, noticed... I mean, what they are set up well to do is if. You know, if they do get a lead, you know they can they can do the suppression by possession kind of thing and just you know, plink <clears throat> plink around in the offensive zone, um, and and not give up as many chances. But it's just when they need to score, when they're behind by two or three or four or five, and you know, they can't do that, and it just sort of builds into a feedback feedback loop.
3: What I notice about them is they really try to be physical, like. Even, it's not even necessarily like how Vegas is physical because they're like their guys are all big and everything, but it's just like Seattle is trying to finish every single check, which is fine. It's, it's a certain way to play, but it ends up becoming like a, this is the only thing we can do because we're bad. Like You even see a lot in, like, I hate to put this up, but Junior. like There's definitely a, a range of quality in those teams, and just the bad teams like that's all you can do they just don't have the talent or they're not in the right portion of their life cycle and you just have these guys and all they do is just go out there and just try to hit and hit and hit because if you you don't have the puck and you're not winning and you're not scoring that's like the only thing you can do and that's sort of the vibe I got from Seattle
2: yeah I could definitely see that um, and again like I, I think that's another thing that goes back to Dave Haxtell as a coach it's He's just—he's a poor fit for the, that club, and, and probably just about every other one too. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you guys about that I didn't even notice until this morning was that Giordano got a misconduct at towards the end of the second period. <clears throat> um, yeah, I guess he had a, a holding penalty.
3: He probably said something then. Yeah, I don't magic word. Yeah.
2: But all those just total bullshit penalties that were called on the abs in the early part of the third period. Those pretty much all happened while he was um, out with the misconduct. So I wonder, would you
3: say that the calls that the abs got, like the ones that we drew, were they kind of cheap? This game was just really weird to watch because it was just over so fast. And Those games can be really dangerous because anything can happen in 40 minutes. But Seattle really never had a thrust.
2: Right. But like, all right, Magna's the tripping call against Magna, like, hey, that's a trip. You know, it's like they got that one. But it's like O'Connor's penalty. Like, I know the optics were pretty bad (laughs) on it, but that wasn't a penalty. Like he was like looking at his stick to see if it was the right one. And then Gord ran moved into him. even moved out of
3: the way. Like, you could say the way he was standing, his leg was sort of out there, and then he moved it out of the right. way.
2: Right, he got out of his way, and he still <laughs> got hit. It's just like...
0: For context, this is the kneeing penalty that he yeah. was assessed against Yanni Gord. Yeah.
1: Um... Yeah,
3: it, it was like he was trying not to stick the leg out, and Gord just ran into Right.
1: <laughs> you know... <laughs> Yeah, it's and like Gordon Kubel- was trying to
2: use him as a pick, and and O'Connor boarding. was getting him out of the was getting out of his way, and it, and it just he ended up, I don't know, like that was just dumb, and 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 again, I like, I don't totally blame refs on that because, it, you know, the optics I were pretty bad. I guess in real
3: time, sure, you see him standing there and his legs out in the way, and yeah. sure, I guess whatever.
2: But yeah. the- and then Obey Cabell's um, <laughs> boarding penalty, like
3: boarding? <laughs> Yeah, yeah
2: exactly. where did the boards start
0: exactly? Is it apparently um, quite quite a
4: bit forty feet from... out?
3: <laughs> like the way that he hit him, it's just it was like Dunn was sort of in an awkward position and then he was also affecting you know, the puck. He they should have never passed it to him. Just the yeah. way he got hit and then he fell into the boards, but like no part of that was boarding. Like Bell wasn't intending to even hit him into the board. Like, he was just kind of like Hitting him open
1: eyes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right.
2: So that was it, just that was just comedy. All those penalties, but I just, just I, I wondered if like Giordano's misconduct was something that they like maybe. Li- them a few. Well, like maybe the the refs were like, hey, maybe we were a little too harsh on that or something like that. So there was some evening up or whatever.
3: Yeah, probably. It that just, would seem to make sense. When a game's over that early, you just know something dumb's going to happen. Like, either a really bad hit's going to happen. You, you know, just nothing good comes out of having a game that was pretty much over, what, like, pretty early into the second. They got through the second okay. And then the third was just, like, everybody needs to go home. Yeah, the Avs need to get back on the plane. And we have to still play these 40 minutes. Or these 20 minutes. Yeah.
0: And then you got Jack Johnson that got totally mugged right in plain sight. But nah, just another day at the office. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just mean, whatever.
3: It's just- they got it was seven to nothing. They got the win. As far as we know, nobody got hurt. So just whatever. It's it's over and we'll see what Seattle really looks like. I'm sure their other games will be more competitive, but they definitely looked rough. Like Vancouver you can see the talent and the skill. Seattle you're just like, you know, what do they really build on here? What what are they trying to do? Or, because they aren't even consciously going for like draft picks or crappy or whatever. It, it really begs the question, like, what are they trying to do really?
2: With yeah, like players? what's their identity? Um, and I realize that's, you know, unless you're in a Vegas situation where they sort of You know, they jobbed everybody. Um, You know, this is a pretty ragtag collection of disparate talents. Um,
3: And a lot of them are okay. Like, they don't have a lot of bums on the team.
2: Yeah, but it's just, you know, you got some big guys, not too many, though. Like, they're a fairly small team, but you got some pretty big defensemen, but they're not, like, a big hitting team. And, you know, they don't have a lot of scoring, but they've got some decent talent. Like, Donnie not having a goal so far, I mean, like, oh, we know I he's we streaky. Yeah, I it's know. like, we know he's pretty streaky, but still. I mean, it's like, if he doesn't have a goal, that's kind of says something.
3: Yeah, he, I know. You just look at Donnie, and he just probably wished more than anything, he'd just get on that plane and come back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he was probably wishing they took Confer instead of him. Oh, my! So
3: does everybody.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, he
0: did assist on the, uh, the Blackwell goal to make it did, the 7-3 yeah. score, so...
3: Yeah, I think he, he looked okay. He looked like Donnie, but you could just tell he just can't get a, the puck in the net, and it is sad because you know he didn't want to leave. Wasn't there some quote that he said like all the Avs teammates will be best friends for life? That doesn't make you you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I
2: know. <laughs> and I think his family still lives in Denver.
3: <laughs> I don't, I, I don't did, know. His they just, maybe
2: they moved they just when when big, camp started, yeah. but he, it's like they were all still there in Av's camp, or right before well, he it.
3: Remember, he was here for about as long as possible. Like, when they were really getting to the meat of those captain skates, he was still here, and I'm like, Tommy! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're gonna have to go one of these days.
2: Right, I mean, and I understand, like, you know, Seattle didn't have a captain, really, and, like, so, you know, how would they organize something like that? So it, it it does make sense that perhaps their players would sort of stick where where they had been, but
1: um. Yeah, you you do feel for him, right? And even in the case of Grubauer, when, uh, you
0: know how he endeared himself to this city when he was here, and the fans loved him, and that it, was his choice. It wasn't. It was his choice.
3: Tr- it, was, it, was like his choice.
0: <laughs> it was his choice. Yes, nobody put a gun to his head and said, "Sign this contract." So I'll I'll say that th- there's some differences in that respect, but. At the same time, it's like, well, right with, with Donnie, it's like, well, it it's like the the kid when you first drop the kid off at the first day of school and they're just standing there on the curb and you have to tell him to go inside.
3: <laughs> I wonder if the ABS ever found any money if they try to trade for him back.
2: I don't know if they'll trade for him back, but I could definitely see him signing there once his contract's done with Seattle.
3: Maybe, yeah.
2: You know, see if he's how much
3: money they have been, but
2: well, with sure, two years in Seattle, back. he might not be commanding too much of a salary. <laughs>
0: <laughs> are we talking Don Square? Are we talking Grubauer? No, Donnie. <laughs> we're talking
3: Donnie. <laughs> the Grubauer, the ship sail. Yeah, that contract's yeah. long.
2: Yeah, that contract's long. But you
3: know how the ABS love to bring back old friends. Like, Donnie would be an easy guy to bring back, especially if, like, Seattle retain. You could totally see them. they would do it. Well, this is the last
0: year of his deal, isn't it?
3: No. No, he's got
0: one here. more. Okay, so he's got a little bit more left. So, sure, absolutely, I could see that being a possibility, especially if there is a decision that's made in the front office in Seattle to have a plan. And- or what if they trade traded Comfort for him straight up?
3: No, they're not going to trade Comfort. <laughs> but... I'm saying it now. If they're if the abs are going to go out and get a rental, I bet they and he wouldn't be a rental. But if they were going to go out and get some help at the deadline, I I bet they would be pretty open to bring Donnie back. And Donnie probably would be thrilled.
0: <laughs> yeah, he'd be on the tarmac waiting for the call.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, it's just yeah,
2: you. Yeah. You know, you you can kind of see. You know, not not that Obey Cabell fills that role but it's just they're they're kind of looking for another Donnie
3: it's tough because he he was pretty good at putting the puck in the net even though how much of that can you really count on year to year but
2: I mean I think yeah, when you're with the Avs, you, you grow wings kind of thing I mean you know obviously what he's doing in Seattle is, is a lot different than what he would do with the
1: avalanche
3: Yeah, I think they are thinking of it more as top six, which probably really don't want to count on that.
2: I mean, he's a guy that that can play up in the lineup if you need to, but you know, if, if he's on your third line as your right wing, it's like that line is going to be good. It's going to score, and if you, you know. <sighs> As we saw with sort of the Joe Snachushkin donskoy line last year, it's like when you have a combination of players like that, you can do a lot of good two-way
1: stuff and still be effective on the scoreboard.
3: So yeah, it was kind of sad seeing Donnie. <laughs> Poor guy.
1: <laughs> but
3: abs do <coughs> find a way to bring the old friends back, so never know
1: so I mean you know that, w-
2: that was a pretty profitable trip for the Avs um,
3: well they took what they need to do was take care of business they need to start getting points need to beat bad teams and they did that so yeah. good for them they had a good road trip and now that they're going to start playing more it just has to continue yeah
2: and I think I mean, the scoring is awesome. I mean, that that that's what we love as fans. but I, I think probably the best thing that's happened over this four game win streak is that I think Kemper is finally um comfortable with what he's seeing in front of him and and with the consistency of play of the defense in front of him. um.
1: You know, like you said, I, I don't
2: hold that third goal against him. like i I, I think nobody cared at that point, but
1: um, <laughs> well, you sure. know,
2: I, I, I think what he's seeing in front of him is, is sort of allowing him to to be the goalie we thought he was going to be.
3: I think there's probably like one more notch he could get to, but it's it is probably good enough.
0: This has been, I think, the proper amount of runway to get him uh, positionally familiar, if that's the right phrase, with his defense and the rest of his supporting cast. So now that the schedule is going to start picking up where, you know, you can take the training wheels off, so to speak, in a more active week-to-week playing uh, rotation, I think he'll, he'll, you know, click it into that next gear that ABS fans and Kemper himself to a certain extent expect out of him
3: well here's the question knowing the week coming up which is going to be a busy week it's going to be four games including an in division back to back over the weekend what should they do about the goaltending should they give JoJo a game should they give JoJo maybe Ottawa and then consider playing Kemper three out of three games in four days is that too much to ask you I'd probably play
2: JoJo against the Stars maybe
3: that one's on the road, though. I don't know. It's tough. It's not. I mean, easy I, I to see an obvious
2: because I, I. I mean, I think like against Nashville, it's you kind of want a goalie matchup. Um, sort of Kemper and versus Soros. Been playing
3: good until they're not. Yeah,
2: and Soros has been playing very well. So that's going to be kind of the game where you're like, we probably need to limit the opponent's scoring. Whereas Dallas, um, their goalies have not been playing well. Um, so it's like, if you, if you, you know, if you see a high event game there, and I know that's ridiculous to talk about Dallas being a high event, but, um, you know, that, that would be the game where you're like, if we have to score four or five goals, that would be something you'd be a little more comfortable with, um, rather than against Nashville. So
3: it'll be interesting to see what they decide because yeah. four games this week, like four and six, that's a lot to ask I think
2: but they just I mean they haven't played at all this month so far well
3: I know that that too but you've got to start you're
0: turning up the difficulty settings from you know medium to expert level with that amount of playing time
2: I mean maybe they do something like play Jojo against Ottawa and Dallas or some I mean they you know they could do that um, I don't know why you would like. You'd think like the not that Ottawa's a really bad team or anything, but like you know you want Kemper in that game because you're like you know if we play well, this one's a fairly easy win.
3: Yeah, that one'll be different, especially since they're getting a lot of guys back from COVID, and we've seen that does tend to maybe lend to guys a little bit more rusty things like that. And
2: yeah, the Sharks were definitely. Running out of We're gas, out of pretty, gas. <laughs> <We> <laughs> pretty, of pretty gas. early in that game. So, yeah, know, that was the exact same situation. I think what they got five or six ga- guys back, just like Ottawa's going to. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's going to be, you know, probably probably very similar as far as what you have to prepare for.
3: Yeah, so like with, the Avs just have to withstand an win
2: early surge, and then you're okay. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, the Avs just have to win that one, especially with what's coming up. With the week, you just can't start with dropping that one.
2: Yeah, because then that makes like the Anaheim
1: game meaningful, and that's the last thing you want.
3: But we're back to real goaltending decisions,
1: I guess. Yeah. If I Frank. would never <laughs> be back. And poor Frank. <laughs>
3: He exists more than he did last year, but until he's available, he's not available.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the way we have to look at it. Is like until he's actually like standing in the net at the beginning of
3: the
1: game, <laughs> he's out. Yeah. Make a save, and then we'll believe. <laughs>
3: I think we will see him. I think the the fact that he's actually been on the ice this year, but it's been a long road for Frank, fortunately. And and Martin. you feel
0: for him. You really do because, you know, he, he no one wants to be hurt, and no one wants to be hurt long term. And then when you're trying to rehab after being hurt for as long as you were, and then you somehow hurt yourself again, it it, it it's just it has. It takes its toll, and he's
3: not the biggest guy either.
0: No, and he's and he's you know
2: he's a nice guy and he's very competitive and I I think he'd really be. Um, I think he's a healthy, good goalie.
1: You,
2: yeah, I, I think he's someone that could really help the Avs. Um, the the thing is, the the question we have to ask is, you know, if he does come back and 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 settles into a backup role where he plays solid and and probably you know once every five or six games something like that depending on the schedule are, are you going to be able to trust that he's going to stay healthy when you need him like are they still going to go shopping for another goalie like <laughs> they collect I hope
3: they don't many last year such a ways it it I hate it so much. It's so dumb that that's the position you have to constantly go out and basically pedal on the street for. Like, goaltending isn't something you just gamble with. It should be something that you kind of have a set hierarchy. Like, thank God they at least have JoJo, who's an acceptable backup slash number three. And they're not right. already just think- trying to run through guys from the AHL.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think what we've seen with JoJo is that, like, the the trade that they made for him is working out better now than it did, and and not that it was bad when they made it, but it's like, now he's comfortable you... with Parkila, he's comfortable with the team in front of him, like, he's a lot better goaltender now than he was when they acquired him, so it's like, when you trade for a guy, your payoff is down the road. It's like you you can't just get a goalie and throw him in there like Dubnik and expect results.
3: It's just insane to me that that's a yeah that that's a position that you think you can plug and play that you can. I mean the thought that Kemper's a rental like who even has rental goalies? Nobody does that. Nobody goes out and acquires a goalie for one year. It's just it is. It's bizarre they, and they're their approach to goaltending and acquiring them has just been very strange. And you're right. Why do you want to bring in a guy all the time at the end of the year? that's not comfortable and expect to get results from him. So I hope they don't have to do that.
2: I mean, I can see doing it, you know, like, again, I I like what has happened with Jojo's trade um, because of that third goalie, which, I mean, now he's obviously been the backup pretty, you know, more than he's been the third goalie, but you know, that's paid off well for, for both him and the organization, because it's like, he's, you know, he's, he's very viable in that third goalie role and perhaps
1: viable as a backup.
3: Well, and you just didn't need to trade to bring him in is the other thing. It's, is that, yeah, I agree. If you're just looking at what it costs to get him and, and the quality of play that he's giving, is it worth it? Yeah. But he was also a UFA at the end of the year. Like, it could have been anybody. If they had just kept Michael Hutchinson all these past couple years, it'd be about the same thing. If they had just signed that guy at the beginning of last year and had him and had him available, it's like the same basically quality of play. Yeah. It would have been free like at that point I obviously had to trade for him too. So Right.
2: So right. I mean I guess the best case scenario is is that Frank does come back and he doesn't get injured again and they have confidence that he can stay healthy and then this is something we don't have to worry about at the deadline.
3: I hope not. It would be such a waste. Like the assets are dwindling and you can't just they don't really have the picks to just throw around anymore. So it's
1: it's seven fresh ones every year, though.
3: (laughs) They have already (laughs) dipped into it's like buy now, pay later. The, the, you know, the, the loan, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, you can only borrow so far into the future. It's it's not like you can just start using 2025 picks because those don't have value in the NHL. It's not like the OHL where you can, spend your 2026 and get something you try to trade i think you specifically
2: can't (laughs) trade picks that are more than three years out in the nhl
3: well it just doesn't doesn't have value even three years out doesn't have value like these teams that are rebuilding now like let's say arizona that wants as many picks under the sun they want picks now if you think that you're gonna win a bidding war with a 2023 or 2024 pick you're not no so so there really is only so much they can do
2: yeah again that's the you know that that's why it makes the best possible scenario if they can solidify their goaltending and just be consistent with it from here on in
3: well another good scenario would be if they took ananin seriously and he was actually an option like we're seeing younger and younger goaltenders like Edmonton using Stuart Skinner. That guy's not old either. It's a 2017 draft pick. Like teams have to rely on some of these younger guys at some point, too.
2: They could have had Adam Werner for nothing. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I know he's been good in the AHL.
1: He sure I don't know what
3: I don't know what happened last night, but the last time I looked, he, he oh. was 4 and 0 and gave up eight goals.
2: Yeah, bad. <laughs> no, he's really good. I don't know why they got rid of him, but I mean, I kind of in the fact that what we're seeing in the AHL is now Ananin and Minor and Miska dealing with some problems. Um, you know that that shows maybe there wasn't room for Mo- for Werner. Um So it's I, I don't I don't hate it as much as I did. You know, if it was something like Misca and Jojo were were full time with the Eagles. Um you Well,
3: know, you just like... never had Misca to begin with. Like Werner should have been the Misca. But I get that if they made the decision to sign Minor and they were only gonna have so many quote unquote developing goalies and they chose Minor, you know. I like Minor a lot and I think it's worth investing in. So if it was an either or there, i get it. Yeah, but um, it's just an organization that struggles so much with goaltending depth. You just can't just let these guys go for nothing.
2: Yeah. So you know, hopefully, hopefully that doesn't come back to bite them. <laughs> yeah.
3: For Werner's um, sake, I hope it does. But,
2: but I mean, the, I I guess the the good news is Frank has been skating this week and. You know, I wouldn't say he's on track. Although I did say I didn't expect to see him before Thanksgiving, and that you know appears <laughs> appears to be well, fairly with prescient.
3: With well, Frank in particular, yeah, you're not you're not betting the under on anything uh, there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, if he can at least just prevent them from needing to get one at the deadline, then he's done his job.
2: And Then last night during the broadcast, I guess we had an update on McKinnon that he's been skating in Denver while the team's been in the Northwest, and he appears to be on track to be back when they said he was going to be, which is nice.
3: I can believe it. McKinnon always pushes himself, and definitely the time when the team's away is a good time to scope things out let's just say i have that one on the back burner if that ever needs to be done
1: yeah um so I-, I you know i
2: i think we are enjoying sort of a a break from having mac and and his frustration and everything um but it it, it will be good to get him back after you know 3 weeks or so
3: oh yeah yeah he's Huge part of the team and the talent that he brings—they're going to need it.
2: Yeah, and I think I think the team and he will both grow while apart, and you
3: know, I, I think that can only help them. Maybe winning too, where he doesn't feel like he has to do absolutely everything, but he's going to be a little ball of frustration, so he starts getting a few goals. That's just the way he always is. <laughs> Yeah, I
1: mean, I could see that. <clears throat> and they did take Byron oh, we- with them on the road. And that was yeah, nice Yeah, that was
3: see. a pleasant surprise. Yeah, and they did already skate once, so... Yeah, we'll see how long they want to... I'm sure they'll be cautious. If he could play any on that East Coast road trip, that'd probably be nice, so... yeah it's it's definitely something that stresses me out a lot but just because he's he's so good like it's not even just about the team just somebody that talented deserves to to be able to show what they can do and um yeah Peter Baugh had a great article about the struggles he had with recovering from his concussions last year and I don't know if the article necessarily made me feel better or worse, but it's nice just knowing the truth. And then they could be more open about, you know, it's just about how he feels and progressing and and just knowing that everyone just understands what's going on. Like, it's just going to take time, but there's already been some positive things about him being able to travel and skate and, you know, it seems like he's not having a lot of bad days. So... It makes you feel like he will be back sooner than later.
1: Yeah, like,
2: I, did, I don't think he would have traveled on a plane, you know, if he was highly symptomatic at all, so...
3: No, and just that the decision would have had to come so quickly. Like, when you even decide that on Monday? You know, So, so he must have already been doing fairly well by then, anyway. So...
2: Yeah, because it's not something you're, like, 15 minutes before the flight, you're like, hey, you know what, I'm feeling <laughs> pretty good. You guys mind if I tag along? You know, I mean, it's right, it's one of those like, things no, that I'm was just... probably decided just the day before, at least, you know?
3: Right, exactly. <clears throat> so, so yeah, if he's really not feeling bad or anything like that, then it is something that you can probably work through pretty quick.
1: And again, that that can only
2: help. I mean... I, I think Murray has done ok. He's kind of th- what they what they sold it is is sort of he was Sam's partner is not kind of how it's worked out <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, the you know, The maybe- last two games have been really weird, though, so I don't even want to really too much into what exactly they've done with the pairs. But I agree with you. He's not exactly in that role. <laughs> If you just look at it on paper.
2: Well, I mean, I think they kind of, I, I think they've been very disciplined with how they used EJ and you know, how we, we've kind of talked about Burakovsky, you, you know, you, you play him 12, 13 minutes and you don't get anything more out of him if you play him more. Um, and I, I think they're, they're sort of looking at EJ the same way. It's like, you want to keep him sort of 13, 15 minutes somewhere in that range. You don't want to have to play him twenty plus. <laughs> and then that way
3: he's more fresh if a game requires more penalty kill than others. Right.
2: Um, you know, you they're they're sort of looking at EJ as like we want to keep him healthy the whole year, and, and burning him out in October and November isn't the way to do that. So, um, you know, they're they're managing his minutes fairly well. It's you know i think it's partially his age and partially his injury history but you know as we Seems saw to be last night it now. yeah that was you know he can put the puck in the net
3: <laughs> i remember i think we had the discussion on the pod about how e- ej never scores a boring goal yeah <laughs> <laughs> i thought of that when he scored it was just like every every goal he scores just <laughs> <laughs> what was that insane Miko spinorama in the middle of the ice, and, and then he just <laughs> scored from there, which is funny. That's about almost exactly where Makar will first shot the puck on one of his goals, and then he had to get the rebound. But it was like the exact same opening worked out that time again.
1: Yeah, and the nice thing is, is like, like
2: EJ's had some sort of not that great games but he hasn't had a poor game he hasn't had a game where you're like you know got to get him off the ice kind of thing
3: i think Uh, it's sort of coincided with some decent play around him i'm trying to think of what game i didn't like him that much in. maybe it was the vancouver game you're just like oh my god
4: yeah
2: and it's you know i i kind of chalk that up like everybody's had a, a game or two like that this year but it's you haven't had a game where you're like, geez, he looks slow. Or, you know, he looks like he just can't handle it out there. Um, well,
3: it wasn't like his fault. Like, you could say, oh, they lost because EJ screwed this, that, and that up. Yeah. It's just sort of something they're, they can mitigate.
1: Yeah. So. Uh,
3: Sometimes JJ's like that, too, where you're just like, ah. Uh,
2: he's like that a lot Pug more skilled. than I like.
3: <laughs> well... <laughs> There are times when it's like, okay, the puck skill run out there, but... Yeah,
2: over- and there are times, like, we well, haven't know, seen I it recently because their game tempo has is, is been very moderate. Um, you know, I, I think what we'll end up seeing this week is we'll probably want to not see JJ after maybe <laughs> the third game. Um, <laughs> it's something like that. Because, you know, I think in that back-to-back... Like if he plays both those games, we're not gonna like it. Um, so you know maybe it'd be really nice if if Byram could get back by then. They don't have to play him in those games back to back, but you know we'll see. But it's just you know he's he's an older gentleman, and if you use him a lot, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna work out that well.
3: Well, that's kind of with everything. You just wish that you could see. A, a four and six week with the traveling back to back them use more players, them not need, maybe needing to play helm in every single game. Like you said, if if they even afforded the opportunity, we're not having to play JJ and Murray in every game, you know, yes.
2: just, but if it's a question of taking one of those guys out and, and putting McDermott in, then you're like, ah, I mean, what are we going to do? I mean, you can't do that. So,
1: The
3: writing's on the wall there. They just, they're not going to play him until they have to, which we welcome that. It is funny. They went on the road for two games and he was the only extra. Like that is so tempting fate. (laughs) Just not only to have to use him, but just to say like, we're only ever going to need one person on this road trip. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But hey, it worked out for them. They didn't have to dress him or have to make some sort of panic emergency call. Fly someone up. It did,
2: and and I do think sort of the reduced tempo was part of that. Um, But again, now with getting back to sort of every other night kind of play, uh, you know, that would be really tempting fate now to do. Like if they go on the East Coast road trip and that's their strategy is to just bring McDermott (laughs) then.
3: I mean, you just can't. Hopefully, at that, that point, cool. you're bringing McKinnon and Byron and playing them at least on that trip. I, that's yeah, kind of like it, my realistic hope is or at least, if those at least two are like your, your extras, and maybe you can play them at some point.
2: Yeah, like if you bring McDonald on that trip, you know, then you're kind of covered. Like if you need, well, that's what they then, love.
3: Yeah. <laughs> they have a, a forward or a defenseman, which. I don't know. Right. I, I think they love the strategy more than reality, but. Yeah.
2: Well, I think the funny thing is, I think they probably like him better at forward, and he probably likes playing defense better. <laughs> so,
3: <laughs> Yeah, that's the vibe I get. Well, yeah. it's funny with the Eagles, they set him right back. He was forward. It's like, oh my God, they're really serious about this. But now he's back on defense with the Eagles. Yeah. <laughs> So whatever that means, yeah.
2: yeah, But that I just I don't I don't see them just bringing McDermott to the East Coast and.
3: Well, no, you can't. It's a five-game road trip. It's almost two weeks. You yeah. You absolutely have to probably. You've got to bring twenty-three players that you can realistically play at some point. That's a
2: whole lot of salary, though.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It sounds expensive. You got to take that into account when you weigh the plane before you take off
3: yeah well, when you're going to Canada, you're also get guys from Loveland and like a snap either. You have to be real about the situation,
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah, you, like you can't call up like maybe for you know the the latter part of the trip, you could get somebody that could meet you. but like once you're in Canada, you've got what you got.
3: There's no direct flight from Denver to Ottawa. like you're just not gonna get somebody in a day there. And there's only so many flights. I think there's like one flight to Montreal direct. Like you just. You're not going to get somebody day of. It's
1: just not going to happen. But we'll cross that bridge. We got to get through this week first. (laughs) So a couple of other things took place here over the last. uh, The last 24 hours.
0: Uh, we had uh, Nicholas Obey-Kubel get his first uh, goal of the season, first with the absence being claimed by Philly. I know it's a limited uh, exposure to him in terms of uh, where he's fitting in with the team right now, but overall impressions where we are with him at this stage.
3: You know, I kind of like him. I Is yeah. it irrational? Like, I usually would hate a, wa- a waiver claim, and I don't know, I... I think of him as like a real option. He's not washed up. He's not a career AHLer. I don't think he's necessarily blocking anybody at this time anyway. So I think he's been fine. Like, um, he hasn't been perfect. He's made some mistakes, but like everybody was terrible in that second period in Vancouver. So it's not fair to just say that he had a couple bad shifts. I'm glad he got the goal. I I think it's nice even though it was in garbage time, nice to feel like you're contributing and, you know, what you can do on a new team. And um, I like his physicality. I like, he's kind of somebody they need in their bottom six. So I'm, I'm cool with him sticking around.
2: Yeah, I think that first game I think his physicality was taking him out of the play a little bit. And maybe part of that was just not familiarity with the system and, and what happens if you get a little out of position. Um, you know, maybe some of that was, you know, sort of, sort of showing the staff and the the organization that, you know, you, you're out there trying hard and, and want to play hard and play your game and, and things like that. But, he, he definitely looked more at home um, the second game when he's with New Hook and Joe's the the good old 16, 17, 18 line.
3: I kind of um, like that line. like I think it, yeah, it's nice that it gives Joe something to do without nuke. I think it, it also elevates New Hook's role a little bit. And I th- I think they are all working off of each other pretty well. so I actually think that's a little bit of a deal said that they have put together there.
2: Yeah, I think that has legs. I think, you know, when, once Abe Cabell gets a little more familiarity with, with his teammates in the system and those guys get to develop a little chemistry, um, you know, that could be, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to be Nichushka, Jost, and Donskoy good, but I, I think it could be a good third line that could play in, in a lot of situations. And, uh, you know, maybe a couple months down the line, that that's something we look back on like, yeah, that was, that was a a smart move getting those guys together.
3: I think Joe's looked a little bit more involved too. Like I can actually think of some decent chances he's had, which from your question last week, like can you even think of him doing anything? And (laughs) I actually can. I
1: remember him in a
3: game.
2: This is great.
3: (laughs) (laughs) A few. And then, um, you know, uh, new hooks playmaking. And then it was nice to see a big get that, that rebound goal. Front, which is like, oh, okay, that is really neat because there aren't many guys that are able to do that.
4: Yeah,
2: when you have a guy like New Hook that can shoot pretty well from, you know, 10, 20 feet away, if someone like Obey Cabell is going to be there, you know, with a good net front presence and they have Jost on puck retrieval, I mean, you're sort of looking at a triangle of, of
0: three roles that fit well together.
3: So, yeah, it would be nice to have a real third line again, something that you can. Like you said that you're happy using now and into the future,
4: yeah.
2: So I, I mean, I, I think just overall the evaluation of the waiver claim, I like it. i I think I think he's going to be a guy that that will know pretty soon, you know whether it's going to work long term. but it it definitely looks like he was a guy they you know they kind of want and need. And you know as as long as they can get together on on what he's doing and how he needs to play um you know that this could be sort of a a nieto pickup
3: yeah i think that's fair they're a little little bit but i think as far as like quality and returns and things like that i do think of it more as that i think he's already been better than dano who for some reason i never hated him as much as everybody else did but um (laughs) He's definitely more polished. He's more of an NHL player. The ceiling knife yeah. might not be super high, but he's he doesn't look like an AHLer out there. Like he looks like he belongs and he knows what he can do. And he he knows what his right. game is.
2: You know, and and you look at, you know, Nieto was you know, he he was a a highly skilled amateur player and a and a second round pick and and you know, that that that's kind of the same vein with Cabel. So,
3: and I think he's happy just not to be like on the fourth line, just grind it out like helm and stuff. So the Joe's I'm new sure hook thing definitely gives us talent away from that coaching and, well, stuff too. <laughs> well, or just like <laughs> NHL in general, but sure. It must be such a breath of fresh air to be away from the oppression of Philly. Yeah. So I think he'll stick on. He probably will. Well, that's the intention because even when you get Comfort and McKinnon back, the only guys you're pushing out are Sherwood and Meg. Now. So it's it's not like you even have to make a decision at some point of him over an NHL player.
2: Yeah, like, and I th- I think they kind of want to push Sherwood out pretty quick here. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it always happens. Like Bednar loves his energy, but then he's like uh, over it, and so yeah, yeah they can send I- Sherwood back. Probably is well we'll talk about the HL a little bit more but uh, maybe time to try some of the other guys too sure what had his run he can go be the of the HL and
1: even though
3: the Eagles play better without him too. <laughs> 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 he's sort of like the McKinnon um, effect on the Eagles. It's like when he's not there and they're just constantly trying to feed him one timers on 505 and on power play it's like oh wow, look you get a team game
2: well, the crazy thing is is he's been off he's been away from the eagles for what like two weeks now and he's still second in the ahl in shots <laughs> <laughs> i
3: think mean, the eagles shot counter is insane by the way i don't know how accurate some of that stuff is they did have a lot of shots I found it odd that they did have a lot of shots yesterday and they just like stopped counting them in the third period. Like, well, once we pass 45, like, why bother? Because <laughs> they definitely didn't have less shots in the period trying to come to 3-2 deficit than they just did in the
1: first two periods. But hey, that's the AHL. <laughs> Everything's made up. The Avs also
0: announced yesterday that they have extended Coach Bednar for another
1: two two years.
3: I'm happy about this. I've liked Bednar for a long time, and he has his faults, but I think you also have to think of the opportunity cost. If you're giving him up, you're giving up a lot of the things you like about him and his coaching style, and and what's the alternative? Because I don't think it's going to be out. Go out and get Torts or bedro or anybody that costs real money. And I don't want to know what the cost effective plan B is. So I'm glad to see it get done. I thought they'd maybe wait a little bit longer just to kind of see where the team's headed. But there's also a matter of like, he has to sign it too. So if you're just basically saying, well, we got to wait and for this ship to totally turn around, then he might just say, you know what, I'm not going to sign either. So.
2: Yeah, it's I I actually think it's weird he didn't sign this summer, and I don't know if they talked about it this summer or what. But it, it, it's it's kind of rare. Right? I guess it used to be rarer that you go into a season with a lame duck coach, um, especially with a team that's you know good, a, 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 cup, <laughs> a, a cup favorite. Um, so. But I I guess
3: then it's funny if you're like waiting to see something for him, like what you were waiting to see wins over Vancouver and San Jose, give him the money. Yeah, yeah. Like what Um, has he proved that he did that you didn't know about him in like August? Like (laughs) nothing.
2: The only thing I can think of is this time of year is often when you do sort of more the managerial and um, institutional side of hockey deals, you know, like if you're gonna change GMs, you'd do it in October or November rather than during the summer, that kind of thing. So maybe this is just when um there's a dead zone as far as scouting and player personnel. So you you have a, a chance to focus more on on staff decisions. Um because they're really, you know, there isn't like anything you can point to and say, aha, all right, this is where you clinch that new contract.
3: No, <laughs> I don't think. But being I'm glad he did was, because was them like, all right, let's call up his agent, let's get this done.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I- I'm glad they retained him. I I think he's probably the best coach the Avs have had, other than Q, and and Q wasn't very good when he was with the Avs. So you know, maybe the the best coach in situ that they've ever had. <clears throat> um. I, I think the alternatives would be scary. Like I've I've been saying for a long time that I, I think Rick Tockett would be their backup. As far as if they ended up getting rid of Bednar, that's that's probably a guy that would be top of their list to look at. Just because oh, he's there's got so
3: the- many bad ones. There's like David Quinn. There's would they just promote Cronin. David though- Quinn though. <laughs> <laughs> Would um, they just promote Cronin, which I don't mind him, but he does seem like he's suited for the AHL rather than somebody you'd really necessarily want to have coaching in the yeah. A- NHL. Just um, be shocked if they went out and spent big money. So you're always looking at your friends and family bin.
2: <laughs> yeah. And that's it because he was an assistant back with Granato in his first fa- first. Stint with the Aves, um,
1: so That's
3: probably a fair bet. Or anybody else he, on the Columbus tree, even though, yeah, but, like no Brad. Obvious. Like if
2: Brad Larson hadn't gotten the Columbus job, like that would be a guy that, that I would say like, yeah.
3: they
1: would they might look at. Um,
3: or they would just would they do something really dumb like just promote Pratt or Bennett? Like
1: I don't know. I
2: I would think. I would think that those guys are maybe skating on thinner ice. Um,
3: they should. Honestly, if if this season doesn't go that well, they honestly need to do something different there. Right. If you retain Bednar, which I'm happy with, but th- that would sort of be the compromise is that you need to bring in some new assistants. Cause we need some new thinking here
2: right, and i' I've said for years, like I would love to see Ray Bennett replaced, and it's not it's not all my hate for the power play it's It's basically that i I would like to see a more modern thinking offensive mind in there, and I know that would be incredibly rare to just pull out of your hat like you know that's something that every team would want is a young coach that's Got a mind for offense, you know. There's just there's there's so few, just even experienced coaches with minds for offense in the league.
3: Well, there's so many. There's so many guys in the AHL now, or that have been really successful in junior. I could think of several guys that I think should get some sort of opportunity like that. But I just think in general, like what is Bednar like now? This second or third longest tenure or something like that, where just coaching changes all the time anyway. Why should you have assistants that have been around forever? Like if you've decided for whatever reason that he's the right man for the head coaching job, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't change anything.
2: Yeah. And I know that there has been interest in at least Pratt for other jobs. Like that's kind of like that. That's sort of your payoff for having good assistant coaches is you end up losing them to other teams and and head coaching jobs. So, um, you know, and you, I think you his approach hope to graduate defense... Pratt at some point. Um, and I'd hate to lose him more than I'd you know lament losing Ray Bennett,
3: yeah. I've liked some of his approaches to utilizing the defense, even though I think it's been more conservative this year. so, but so while I agree, I, I'd probably replace Bennett as well. But I just think it's it's time. You know, uh, I don't think having somebody, do in both positions would be all that bad at this point.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, it's just it, if it doesn't work out this year You've got I to try that, like, right? And... Yeah, that's that's the kind of chi- change you can make that can perhaps create a difference um, that with really no collateral damage.
3: And I guess it's interesting, are signed for two years, you would think some coaches with leverage would just be like, No, I like I need a real long contract. I think that was some of the issues when we see guys like Torts and some of these others that walk away. It's just they aren't getting offered that long contract and it seems like he was obviously open to something not super secure long term. Which that could have been yeah, his right. Think- like if he walked away, he probably could have gotten a, a better deal as a free agent.
2: I think Bednar's fine with the shorter deals. I, I think that sort of gives him freedom and the apps freedom, and they're both happy with it.
0: I think it also creates a sense of urgency on his part to make the most out of these next two years because he, he knows where he, he's fallen short during his time here. He he knows that. So if he can get it done in this you know, amount of time, we've used it with players that take shorter deals as they're betting on themselves. So perhaps this is his way of betting on himself to say I can get this team further than I've ever had before in these next two years. And then when that time comes, I can come back and say, this is what I was able to do. So let's really dive in. Exactly. I mean that's that's what I'm saying is
2: like for, for J B like with Bridge with no deal. cup
0: on his resume,
2: a short deal <laughs> yeah. is, is good because if he if they win the cup in the next two years then he can come back and say, Guess what I want? <laughs> Lots <laughs>
1: and you're gonna pay it. And they will.
3: And they should, yeah.
1: But I could, you know,
2: I, I could see Bednar having like a Lindy Ruff career in in Buffalo, where he ends up sticking in Colorado for ten fifteen years.
3: Wow, that would be a long time. That's that's almost unheard of. I know, but it's like with...
2: it, I know that's but it, very Trotz level, <clears throat> right? It's just it, the Avs are have such a family mentality about these things. Uh, you, you know, obviously, like if Sackic moves on, and you know it it. it they really clean house um, at the upper levels of management. You know, I could definitely see like when that happens, like, you know, whoever ends up being the GM is going to bring his own guys along. But, um, you know, if, if Joe stays in the GM job long-term or head of hockey operations, however you want to phrase it, um, you know, I could see as long as the team has success that, that Bednar sticks around for a long time.
3: Well, I know also with coaching contracts, it's like it's not even real because you can just fire the guy anyway. It's not quite like signing a player for an eight year deal where it's going to be, there's no money. coaches
2: union, <laughs>
3: <laughs> but I think for the abs, it is more of a it's security is they don't want to pay multiple coaches. Like, it pretty much is them saying, and especially since it isn't like a five-year deal, I think it is them saying like, okay, this really is our window for this, and you're going to be the guy for it.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the last coach they paid not to coach is still leaving a very sour taste in their mouth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as we saw someone who was absent
0: at the Pierre Lacroix ceremony. Um, Well,
3: he also has a a team to coach.
0: Mark Crawford had other responsibilities that night.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, we're talking about Wall, He truly, his his junior team had a game that night. Like, that one might might have been a little
2: tough. It's a junior game in October.
3: Oh, I mean, (laughs) really, though? I mean, at one point, they were a number one ranked
2: team. I'm saying if Patrick junior. and Joe were best buds, I'm sure he would have been there.
3: I don't think so. I mean, you just can't do that. You're just, you're a total asshole if you leave your team like that. And I, I don't care what it's for. What? Like coaches or, in Patrick
0: college? Patrick is it. not known for being an asshole. No, at all. <laughs> no,
2: but I mean, you see coaches in college go off to, to- coach nat- national teams at juniors and things like that. So well, okay,
3: that's one thing to go coach a national team. Not just, just like, show up for a banner ceremony. That's <laughs> really lame, honestly. <laughs> so, But hey, I don't doubt maybe they aren't speaking, but I actually say the guy has more integrity for not just pulling the I'm too important card and yeah. abandoning his team like that. I don't know if they still are, but at one point they were ranked number one team in the CHL. Good for him. Yeah, I know, because they haven't really been that good the last few years either. They sure haven't, no. (laughs) Let's
1: get into some stars and scratches. I'd
0: love to. (laughs) Jackie, how about you lead us off this time?
3: Oh, goodness. Um, I guess I want to give one to Burakovsky.
1: Wow. I know.
3: I know it's uh it's always hard when you either have a win a week without wins or a losses, but I just like the way he's been playing. He's scoring again. He does definitely go through some bruts, but I don't know. I was pretty happy with Berkey this week.
1: Yeah, he's definitely
2: been he's definitely been better and more consistent since he returned from his, his sh- quick injury. I guess. Um, you know, I, I think I, I think he he's showing kind of exactly what you need to get out of him, and to to have him be sort of the the most helpful he can be for the team. Um,
3: it's just so nice when he's shooting, and you can see a shot like that.
2: Yeah, and I think that's something we didn't see early in the year. Like he was, I don't know if he was trying to be the playmaker, or maybe just. He just couldn't pull the trigger, and we've seen he goes through phases where he has problems shooting, and it's not because he's not getting looks.
3: Um, I think it's confidence. Like yeah. confidence is something for every professional, but some guys just really ride that wave more than others. And he just, just when he gets in that rut and he's just not scoring, he just needs to see a couple go in. And uh, I think Kadri is riding that wave a little bit too. It's just some guys totally fall into a black hole if they can't score.
2: Yeah, I mean, like we saw even in you know in the Seattle game last night, like that first goal was you know, that was gritty. That was not like a, a 10. Um, but, you know, it's like the, the second one was really nice. Um, yeah. So it's just sort of, you, you get something good happening early like that in the game and, and you could
3: tell he's on. I don't remember what game it was, but I think it was mckinnon Pet passed to him and he just missed an open net. You just you're like, oh God, Berkey's just gonna (laughs) that one's uh that one's gonna replay in the head for a few days.
2: Yeah. And I I guess we never found out what you know what, what his injury was and it was you know it's it was a short stay out of the lineup, but um he definitely looks different since he's been back.
3: So good. Yeah, we need it.
2: Um I'm going to, this this is kind of low hanging fruit, but I'm going to take Kale McCarr. Um,
3: he's also another one where it's really nice to see the puck go in the net. And I think he had a little bit of struggles at the beginning of the Seattle game. Like some of them, sometimes you're just like, oh my gosh. just it, yeah. It's like he's but, uh, fighting the puck a little bit sometimes. And you're just like, you are so much better than this. Like, why does this? Keep happening, I guess, but it's it's nice that he can work through it. And then, obviously, when a few things go your way and go right, then he just totally feeds off of that. He can yeah. totally kill a bad team,
2: <laughs> right? And I think that's sort of I, I think the confidence he's gained um, in playing Vancouver twice and Seattle here is that he's been able to skate. And that's something that like it's it's very difficult to do when you're playing teams that are very cloggy, um and or you know, very, very tough defensively. And it's just without those games where you get a little confidence back after playing like that, it, it it's tough. Um but you know, it's like he's he's had a, a hell of a week with three goals, two assists in two games. I mean um you know he's he's back on a a more than point per game pace, so.
3: Yeah, it's so nice to see. It's just.
2: Yeah. He's so
3: it's talented. <laughs> it's just ridiculous how talented. Well, night.
2: Yeah, it's it's like last night. It was nice hearing Ray Ferraro sort of sing his praises. I mean, Ray Ferraro has always been a pretty big fan of his, um, but it's you know he's just like. You know, this is like a McDavid playing defense kind of thing, and like, yeah, that's hype, but um, it's, it's true not, though.
3: It, it, yeah, I mean, the way yeah, that I they're mean... they're physical and they're they're just their talent gifts. They're physical and and the way they're able to impact the game, it really is similar.
1: Yeah.
2: Um. So it's it, you know it, it's it's fun hearing someone other than Pete McNabb sort of say like, (laughs) oh my God, what an amazing player this guy is, you know?
3: (laughs) Well, I think he definitely put the Quinn Hughes thing to bed, especially since, you know, the more comparison should be Sam and Quinn. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's actually not me just being a total Sam fangirl. I think that is a fair comparison. But, you know, the big test Makar's going to have coming up, you know what it is.
2: Playing against Adam Fox.
3: Yep, <laughs> he's gonna have to win that one. He did in the NCAA um, playoff game where he he sealed up the Hobie instead of Fox. But no yeah, I mean, doubt those those upcoming games we have two against the Rangers in December is gonna be a prove I, I, yeah, I, th- I think it's also fun
2: when. Yeah, I think it's also going to be fun to to see him side by side with Shabbat in the Ottawa game. Um, you know, just just seeing you know these younger defensemen that are you know have kind of diverse talents um, next to each other, and especially the East Coast guys, which we haven't seen in in so long.
3: Yeah, I actually like Ottawa. I like a lot of the young players, so I'm kind of excited to see them. Chabot's yeah. one of them, and some of the others, Stutzla and Brady. You know, all of them. Of course, I yeah. hope we beat them. <laughs> But my my interpretation of like what's an interesting team to see is definitely different than maybe some other people's interpretation. Yeah,
2: I mean, like I I hate watching the Rangers play. So if it's some, we can bring something fun like you know Adam Fox versus Makar into it, it, it gets me a little more interested.
3: Well, hopefully they won't have totally banished Lafreniere. <laughs>
0: So Vlad, who's your star? I gave him an honorable mention last time. I am now graduating him to full out star status, and it's going to be Nuke. I have nice. just been really happy with the way he's just, it's been seamless the way that he's come back into the lineup. I've loved his play. He's made great decisions. His shorthanded goal against the, Seattle, the comedy on the defensive side notwithstanding, it was just...
3: was <laughs> <laughs> well, nice to see him shoot the puck like that, too. It's like He could just get a few of those goals like that this year. I mean, or that dangerous.
2: was that was a pretty ridiculous shot. It's
3: nice shot that, yeah. Yeah, it was a nice shot, yeah.
2: Yeah, because it was cross-body. It was, you know, it, it was blocker side. <clears throat> um, so that was... That was... That was something fun to watch.
3: I think we do uh, need to give an honorable mention to Mr. What is the game point streak?
2: Yeah. I was going to say Kadri, you know, he, he also had five points in those two games. So, um, and, and I don't know if it's quietly, but you know, he's, he's not getting the same hype as everyone else for sort of the, the, the streak that he's on and, and how he's kind of carrying play while, a rotating cast of people are are injured and out of the lineup.
3: I was kind of uh-huh. surprised when it hit seven in the Vancouver game. I was like, really? Seven point game? Seven <laughs> game points treat? Okay. Yeah, I guess I guess it makes sense. He's playing well.
1: Well and it's
2: you know it's funny you look at the, you know, they're they're showing like Drazeidel and McDavid with thirty points already and things like that and sort of the rank and file really good players are in the the, the low twenties. Um you know the Avs are a couple games behind everybody because of their their schedule, but Kadri is at 19 points. Um,
3: yeah, I was gonna say he led the team after the Vancouver game, and I don't think anybody passed him last night. So
2: yeah, I mean, 19 See, yeah, points in 14 games is you know that's that's tall cotton. That's 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 a lot of money. He's fun. definitely I mean, he stepped has, it up. That's... He's an assist per game. <clears throat> um, so it's. You know, I, I love the fact that I was so wrong about him this summer that uh, I thought <laughs> well, he
3: just they mean him, especially off the cliff. with McKinnon not a not playing or b not playing well. Yeah, I mean, if you didn't have Cadre, it'd be a lot worse. Yeah,
2: and it just all the th- all the things that we we ragged on him for last year, like the the apathetic defensive play, the you know not really being. Um, focused defensively and and things like that. Like, he's playing a really good 200 foot game, which is well, he's
3: engaged, he he is making a lot of like good back checks or just effort plays, hard work kind of stuff. Like, I I don't remember what game it was, but when he like dove to to, what was it, knock the puck out of the defensive zone, yeah, stuff like that, you just were not seeing last year,
4: yeah.
2: Um, and I have no idea why we've, <clears throat> you know, I, I, obviously he was very frustrated for, for probably the entire second half of last year's season. Um, but it just, you, you know, you see a, a performance like that over a long period of time, and you're just like, I just, I don't have a lot of confidence this dude's going to be able to, to get back to being what he was, and he's he's surpassed that. I mean, he's playing better than he ever has with the Avs and and probably... Uh, better than most of his time in Toronto.
3: He definitely had some good stretches. I'd have to look back and see, but I think if you're taking the balance of the season, it probably is the longest he's been consistent. I didn't think he like fell the, found the cliff last year. So I, I, th- I knew he'd be better. And I think him having a chip on his shoulder, I think contract year motivation is definitely a real thing for him. So I knew he'd be a motivated player. He'd, his reputation took a hit and he wants to prove that he's a valuable part of any NHL team. So I need to step it up, but you just don't know. You don't know to this level, like say, Oh, the guy's going to be over point per game for the whole season is, is a lot to predict. And he had a lot
0: of time on his hands. when He got that (laughs) suspension to really take stock of where he was and how that season for him Ended and where he wanted to take it this year. Yes, contract year, of course, plays a part in it, but uh, he has come in and he is definitely, uh, you know, he's stepped up and he's really been a very uh, instrumental piece of how well the team has performed, especially, of course, now without McKinnon. But he's kind of been the constant. He's one of the few players that hasn't been out of the lineup since the start of the season.
2: And he's he's one of the few constants as far as production. He might be the only constant as far as production. Like in the beginning of the season, when you just didn't even know what was going to happen any given night, um, you know, he was still fairly c- consistent
1: with how he was playing and, and how he was putting up points. So. Scratches, it's
0: going to be kind of another tough one since, uh, again, you know, you got, what, 24 goals in the last four games for the Avs, just, you know, 11 in the last two. So,
3: yeah, it's tough to scratch. Scratch the guys. I think there's
2: probably one obvious one that I hate to do, but I'm going to have to scratch Landy.
3: I was going to say he was really not good in that Vancouver game.
2: Yeah, he wasn't good last night either. I mean, I don't like. I don't know how much of an adjustment it is to play wing next to Miko rather than Nate. Um, but it's just he's. I mean, he's he's just not he's not playing well, um, and it's it's weird stuff like just can't keep the puck on his stick or can't receive a pass and things like that. it, it kind of makes you wonder if he's fighting something with his hands or something like that. But
3: Yeah, there was one uh, time last night, I think pretty sure it was last night, and he like lost the puck at the blue line. Now, to his credit, he made a pretty epic back check. Yeah. But, you're just like dude, you can't do that. You can't just boot the puck at the blue line.
2: Right. And it's like he was so bad in the Vancouver game and like the like yeah that the empty net goal was you know that that was a really nice empty net goal and everything but
3: um <laughs> well me did Miko steal the puck too like right um earned that one yeah um, well it's just it's disappointing because usually they can't overcome him playing bad like he sets yeah. the tone you just can't it's a rare occurrence where he can play bad and the team wins
2: Like you can overcome him playing bad and win with lots of goals, like they have been. Yeah, Um, like last night. (laughs) But like usually when he's bad defensively, that's you know that's usually a shit show. Um, So you know, hopefully, hopefully whatever it is, like this this sort of last small break they get
1: before embarking on a the regular schedule, you can sort of get it together. And I don't really know how to explain it. Just
3: sometimes he does go through funks. Yeah. Because he usually is uh, kind of the conscience of the team where he's dragging them into the fight or he's trying to change the momentum.
1: Yeah. Um,
2: And it's... I I guess the, the silver lining is that they absolutely didn't need him to win either of these games. So... No harm
1: done.
3: (laughs) I don't have a real player to scratch, so can I just scratch that Byram hasn't played? Can I just say that bums me out? and call that my negative of the week. Like we said, there's some reasons to be optimistic, so that's, that's nice. But can I just say it bums me out so much?
0: I think that's fair. We, you want to have a player of that caliber in your lineup um, on a consistent basis, and when he's not, then it does hurt the team. For the you know, just for the what he can, what he can do, and the way he can contribute, and what he's growing into in terms of his role and where he could go. So, sure, I I'd, I'd say that's totally within the bounds of reason.
4: Yeah,
2: I mean, and, and you know, like like we said earlier, it's like the, towards the end of next week. We're going to be wishing that Jack Johnson and, and perhaps Murray or or EJ were not having to play as many minutes as they will, um, and that's something he could, you know, he he could have helped with.
3: Yeah, and it, it's nice that he was available when Sam was out, when Kale was out, and we just really haven't seen a whole lot of what the three of them can do together. And but we're going to need him. Like he he brings a different element. He's he definitely elevates the team and just selfishly I just love watching him play. I love style. I just I find so much joy in it that maybe it's a little too much joy, but I don't know. I just I just love him as a player, so please come back and then I don't <laughs> need to be bummed anymore.
2: <laughs> please come back, Bo.
3: Please. I know he wants to be back.
1: It'll happen eventually from our rounds to the hockey God's ears. Ah, uh, my scratch is you know, I've gone back and forth on this. I haven't been thrilled
0: with with Ryan Murray this week, but I, I also I was so just i'm I'm also gonna kind of take a page out of out of your playbook to a certain extent, Jackie, and I'm just going to give a big fat two thumbs down to the entire production crew for ESPN for that God awful performance by John <laughs> <Ross> last night.
3: <laughs> oh, it just doesn't have words, right? <laughs>
0: it, it was, I more than once. And we've bemoaned the existence of Pierre Maguire on the NBC shows for far, far, you know, Much longer, but in that one night, I thought, "Wow, you know, maybe we we didn't know what we had until it's gone." Yeah,
2: it's and for anyone that's ever you know watched the the frozen floor because Butchergrass has has called that for years, um, and that's you're just like, oh God, oh please kill me. And that's just exactly the way I felt last night. Um, I like Ray Ferraro. I, he's gotten over his abs hate that he had back when they were not the greatest team. Um, you know, and he, he seems to be kind of a fan of the team now and and somewhat positive. Um, so that's, that's not a part of the telecast. I did not like, but like butcher grass, the whole st- um, studio ensemble was, horrific i you know i, I luckily didn't have a mute button and did not partake <clears throat> but um you know th- there's a lot of things about the espn package i'm not real happy about like the video quality is not quite where it was with with nbc streaming and, and granted it doesn't buffer all the time so maybe that's the price for having a, a, a constant stream but We don't get the pre and post game anymore, and that really bums me out. Um, You know, I know most people hate altitude, but you know, now that the AVS really aren't doing much as far as posting their post game videos, that's you know that that's the best place you can actually watch um, the post game press conferences, and and we just don't get that anymore. Um, And I, I don't know why. Maybe if we get enough people complaining about it they they might be willing to allow an, another half hour of server time for our feeds but um you know the price is nice i'm glad it's only 5 bucks a month or 6 bucks a month or whatever it is but um
0: it's it's not the same as it was before and and that's where i struggle too because i like getting that extra time with the pre and post yeah. that we had with NHL TV and yeah, yeah and it, the altitude crew can, you know, leave a lot to be desired, but at the same yeah, it, time, it's when I when I was, you know, doing a lot of the, the the pre and post stuff last season, there were some really good little details that I was able to uncover and we actually got some nice little feedback on on that in our social streams. So losing that with ESPN I think is a disservice, not just to us speaking just as in terms of you know what we do but in terms of just hockey fans in general just losing out on those those little things that people really might find uh you know enjoyable
2: right and it's just watching your hometown telecast i mean even though it's it's not my hometown but you know i i felt like a little more connected to the team in general uh even if it was just dumb goofy stuff with keith and Riker or whatever um, you know, just that's sort of the personality
1: of of the AVS broadcast, and you're you're kind of missing that.
3: Well, I said before that that the altitude stuff just drives me crazy because you can't just be take yourself so seriously with everything else and then have a slapstick broadcast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And yet
4: they have, <laughs> because nobody is Why watching. I don't watch.
3: I... But I guess that's a good point. If if on the feeds there's no pre and post game, then almost nobody is seeing that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's just the people that actually have that in their home.
2: Yeah, as cable, Those ten or fifteen people that have it in their homes <laughs> and actually watch it. That's your audience.
3: I kind of have a rule where I do not watch Altitude if Byron's not playing. That's kind of like my line in the sand. (laughs) (laughs) Because then I don't want to start hearing the Curtis Derman or the Jack Johnson hero line (laughs) or, oh boy, like, I'd say even like in general just injuries because I don't want to hear about like how amazing Magna is, stuff like that. It's just that's when it feels like they're pulling the wall. Like, it's fun when all the stars are there and they're all playing. And and then you do want to hear, like, the Homer angle of, like, oh, these guys are great and this is so much yeah. fun and we're winning. But when they have to try to listen to something, I'm just like, no, thank you. And sometimes it is nice to get out of the bubble and just kind of hear it from another team's perspective. So the broadcast in particular last night was tough just because of the blowout and I get, like, the guys have to find something to talk about. But it was funny. Like every yeah, but they se- were
2: doing that before. It was a blowout. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, yeah. But, it, you know, I hate when the altitude guys go off on a tangent. When it's like four to nothing, I just have to say, you know what? This is just reality. There was like yeah. every anecdote they had last night was about Seattle. And then they start talking about Bednar's new contract with literally 40 seconds left. They're like, oh yeah, Benner signed a new contract. He's from Saskatchewan. He played in West Virginia, and it, as it's literally ticking down, like seconds, nineteen, eighteen. Like, yeah. good job, guys. Good Job working that one in.
0: That's our final. Good night, everybody.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and I think that's something that every national broadcast struggles with the ABS. It's like they, because you know the the team is so bad at, at publicizing itself that you really don't have that knowledge out there that, you know, Jared Bednar is from Saskatchewan and played in West Virginia or, you know, little fact about everybody, the, unless it's someone like Kadri who is, you know, in Toronto for a long time or, um, you know, free agents that have come over from other places, you know, there, there are, there are a lot of guys on the team that are good that just people don't know that much about, and and only know like, oh, look at that stat line, he must be pretty good, and he's, you know, he's from this hometown and stuff like that. But um, yeah,
3: that's a shame that like the ABS don't. That's their job to work against it. Like you look at what Carolina's done. They're such a small market, and and they have a good team. But you know what? They're trying to say like, hey, look at us, we're good. We have these players. They're trying to have fun with it and yeah. all kinds of things like that. And the ads just don't care. And that's why I get, just get so frustrated because you can't just be like that the entire week, not give you anything. We can't even get post games on the, the website. Like, we get hardly any player content, nothing fun. They don't give us information. They don't give us information in the AHL. And then here's Riker and Keith like, trying to eat an egg or something. And it's just like, I don't care. <laughs> just at this point play the game because that's all you want us to care about
0: <laughs> and to that point about the hurricanes um the their social team there has been great for a, a while now but when this whole bit that you know with the oversheet that you know to do with Montreal earlier in the off season. and and then they went ahead and just dialed it up a little bit further with that uh, that donation to that hospital up in Montreal. Exactly. <laughs> I yeah. want to know
3: how much. I want to know if it was twenty dollars.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's and- what gets your fans excited, and they lo- you know they want to be part of the experience as a fan. And then when you got it, when you have a team like that to just is just so inept then it, it kind of takes kind of the fun out of it you yeah. you want your you want your market to be marketable market your product
3: right like i know i'm hooked okay whatever i'm i'm in deep but that doesn't mean that i don't still want it stuff that i find fun it's just it's disappointing a lot of the time and then the best thing and- do is like just some memes like the taylor swift meme like how did that become a meme in one day like does every Why does every single person care about what album Taylor Swift put out? Like, do I get an Animal (laughs) Crossing meme because they came out with like this enormous update? No, like I don't (laughs) care. Like, why did who decided that every single person in the world needs to understand what's going on with Taylor Swift?
2: Might be a league thing. Um, No, one thing. What what, one thing the Canes have that the Avs don't? is that ownership is signing off on having the social media team be edgy. Um, Because they obviously wouldn't be doing, sort of poking the dragon like they have with all the Kotkaniemi stuff, um, without the ownership group being fine with it. Um, And that's just, you know, obviously KSE is just no fun and don't care. And that's sort of the that's sort of the tough thing because it's sort of a top-down deal,
3: right. Like literally, my most fun in a week is like one picture of Byron,
2: seriously <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. and it's you know, you just hate to see that. And I get it. It's like not every ownership group is going to be fun and really involved with the team. And I, and you know, there are lots of cases where you don't want your ownership involved with the team. and and it, it's yeah, sort it's of nice having a kid. Be careful what you ask like, for there. But it's
3: right. just, I get it. This is the way the ABS are. It's the way they're run from the dark ages. I don't know if it's because they won a cup 20 years ago. They just think like, that should be enough for people. Like. Yeah, Philly want oh, won a ago, cup 40 years ago, but they have a cool ago, mascot now. I guess. <laughs> I guess you shouldn't ask. Okay, hey, what time's the game on? Which. Sending it out. The can't Rangers have won one cup since
2: 1940. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, it but is. But they had a guarantee. <laughs> it is frustrating, and it's frustrating to talk about because I, I know nothing's going to change, and nobody cares, and whatever. And I'm still going to turn on the game, or I'm going to go to the game on Monday. But it just could be just so much more fun. It could be a really, really neat experience for a lot of people and not just me
1: and
3: yeah it just not
2: and I, I i'm fine with it not being that fun but you know sort of i, I guess losing losing callie and ron nab
3: you really gotta wonder about that and then now it, they're it, even the doing quality less.
2: of what's going on on the website is disturbing um like one, you
3: know, one review they they had two different articles that was the same one so they like missed an article and they yeah. didn't even have the hot links right like isn't that something you figure out when you first learn to write on the internet is how to even do a hot link
2: yeah like i don't know what they <laughs> use but like you know we use <clears throat> what what we use is it's really easy to do that so i'm sure it's even easier for them um but it's just, just really it's...
3: weird stuff like that but you
2: know like having that the Bednar interview when he talked about Max injury be a, a duplicate of the EJ interview the same day um, and then you know, they never not,
3: fixed it
2: and they never fixed it and they haven't posted any of the post games since they left town and you know you look at the website and it's like EJ scores his first goal is still the headline and <laughs> it's just like <laughs> hey cool you know it's like I, I'm you know I'm down with EJ scoring but that was like three weeks ago um, yeah.
3: And it's, it's extra disappointing. Cause that's really all we get.
2: Right. I mean, it's like, you've taken the mantle over from, you know, the post and and various other media around the Denver area for disseminating information about the team. It's like, you have a responsibility as the paper of record of the avalanche to, you know, be fairly current with what you do. And, um, you know, with with, with the people that have left, that's just not happening anymore. So, get your. I think that's a good scratch, (laughs) lad.
3: That's kind of like an eternal scratch. Yeah. It's just how frustrating the coverage is top to bottom. Yeah. It'll never be perfect. Like, you'll never please everybody. There'll always be things to complain about, but it just could be better.
2: Yeah. I just, I I hope now that Brendan is basically in, in control that. He's taking his time. He's going to hire some people and they'll get it together
0: eventually. Well, no time like the present.
2: (laughs) The best time to do something like that
1: was three months ago. The next best time is right now.
3: Did we want to finish up with any little bit of AHL prospect talk?
0: Uh, we're we're running a we're running a little bit short on time, but we can try and squeeze a couple of prospect notes in. Um, I'm going to
2: start off with some just throwing some numbers out there of of some of our amateur prospects um, that have been doing a, a strong job. Um, I think everyone's you know pretty excited about Oscar Olsson he's he's been fantastic in the OHL he's got 19 points and 10 goals in 15 games so i think what we sent him down there to do is getting done um Sean Barrons at University of Denver he's got 10 assists in 11 games he's looked really good doing it um, that's another guy that everyone's kind of got a buzz about. Um I I think he's he's only getting better. Um I think he won't be pro for another couple of years, but um you know he's he's gonna be a lot of fun.
4: Um
2: someone that a there lot of people are. don't don't really think about is Tyler Weiss. He goes to Nebraska Omaha. He's got 15 points in 13 games um this is his senior year, so they're going to have to make a decision on him this spring. So, he's getting it done. Um, you want to say something about Barons, Jackie?
3: Um, well, I was just going to mention that, um, Olisson and Barons, we hope to see at the World Juniors. Um, yeah, I wrote a little bit of article on that. If anyone checks out Burgundy Review, just a little bit about who's eligible and who might make it, but Olisson's like a lock for sure. And then Barron's probably looking at a third pair role if he does make it. But the good thing with him is he's eligible next year too. And um, just to go off of Earl's statistics, I was curious and looked up to see what Will Butcher did at DU when he was a freshman and he scored 16 points. So the fact that Barron's already at 10 for a guy that was on trajectory to win the Hobie pretty good company, I think.
1: Yeah. Um, and it's not even Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he is... I, like I, I don't know if Butcher played...
3: For a little bit more 5-on-5, five five, but it is nice they give him a pretty decent role already.
2: I don't know if Butcher played top pair his his freshman year, but I mean, Barron's definitely does. Um, and that's really encouraging. And... He's also a veteran of the national team development program, so you know it. I I could see maybe they, you know, he might be borderline this year, but it would definitely be next year as far as World Juniors. I think he'll make it both years.
3: Well, you also kind of gotta have the guy year prior if you want him to have a really big role the second year. Yeah. So, you need to just get them on the team and give them that experience, which I could see them want to do for the following year.
1: And there's also
2: two other youngsters who we might not realize are still that young that that could be eligible.
3: Yeah, believe it or not, John (laughs) Lucruti and Colby Ambrosio could be on the world junior team now. I don't expect it because they're both Canadian, but. I don't think it would be the worst thing for Canada to look at some guys that are succeeding outside of the CHL and they're both playing against men and, you know, this and that and the other. So probably Foodie would have a better shot than Ambrosio just because Foodie played at the Holinka and he's more familiar with the the Canada system, but... um, It'd be a nice surprise at unexpected. But I think both of them are playing well too. Like Booty just got another assist last night. Um <laughs> you forget how young he is. Like you actually forget guy's world junior eligible and he playing in the AHL. And then yeah, Ambrosio, mean- he's fun. He's definitely like a spark plug.
2: Yeah, I mean it, both those guys were so young when they were drafted. Um and that's you know that's something the Avs go back and forth with. sometimes you you see them draft a, a bunch of younger guys, guys that were born in the summer. Um, you know, and then then sometimes they they draft a bunch of guys that were fall birthdays. Um but yeah, it's like just I mean, it seems like forever that ago that those guys were were drafted and they're still eligible for world juniors. I mean, that that sort of speaks to, you know how young they were and in, in How good they are now is a really good indicator.
3: And I think, I guess, I think we have to shout out Steinberg because we've definitely given that hate. (laughs) But the guy scoring in NCAA, I think it was seven goals or something. Um, He's
2: got. Five goals and six assists in seven games. And granted, oh, okay, one game was against RPI, is. and they scored eleven goals. But um, they scored
3: two goals last night, too. So,
2: yeah, um, you still have to put the the puck in the net, no matter what the opponent is. And that's, you know that that's something we kind of question his with his skill level and whatnot. And then having a a lost year last year with a injury and Cornell not playing. um it's really good to see him, you know, coming back and and being even better than he was his freshman year.
3: So yeah, where he goes, um, it's hard to predict, but I think they'll probably sign him eventually and just see what he can do as a pro. But Steinberg having an offensive breakout year is not something I had on my bingo card.
1: Yeah,
2: I mean... His freshman year, he, he had a pretty good season. He was playing with Justin Barron's brother, who is now in the Rangers' org, kind of back and forth between the Rangers and the AHL. Um, so either he learned a lot, or maybe he wasn't being propped up as much as it looked like.
3: <laughs> I guess we should mention Barron, too. He's finally back. He missed, I think I said, seven games, about a month. Um. I thought he looked pretty good. I wish they'd play him more. I don't. After the whole song and dance about, like, boy, he could have almost made the abs. Like, wow, we love this guy so much. And then to send him back and play him on a third pair kind of role, I don't really get. Especially since last spring he was, and it's also because they had like no defenseman last year. But they just threw him in there as like first. Yeah, I was going to say like good. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I i I'm hoping that was just sort of they wanted him to shake off the rust with no pressure and And maybe we'll see a little bit more tonight. But you know, going forward with the next three weeks, they're at home. Um, you know, hopefully by the end of that, he's moved up
0: the lineup a bit.
3: But yeah, it was good to see him. i think I think he does good things. He's got a fair bit of polish to his game. <laughs> I also think.
2: And Maltsev is a point per game and should take Kiefer Sherwood's spot like right now.
3: Yeah, um, as I said on the last podcast, I I don't know what they're waiting for with him. It's kinda it is what it is. So he's ready to come up whenever they need him to. Yeah. And I think Sampo, people are wondering how he looked. I think was the first game like I didn't think he was bad in the other ones, but this was the one where it was like he's he's playing like Sambo now. He's driving the net. He was more dangerous. He didn't more... Just drive
2: the net. He drove right over the goalie's face. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, he did, he did that more than once. There was one time in the third period he was blatantly tripped doing that. He was like so flabbergasted. He was just like, and they didn't call it. He was just like you know how he gets that look like he's on the horse and he's going and then they just tripped him and he's just like what? <laughs> like That was my chance. <laughs> uh, but he's somebody like we talked about Berkey and probably McKinnon they need to see a goal go in the net before they can kind of like chill out. Sampo's yes. very much that guy like once he gets that goal finally he'll um to really start coming for him but it definitely was not for lack of trying last night so i, I think he looks like he's back on track now I know there's a lot of people that don't like his game regardless like he's never going to be the smartest guy he's never going to be the best defensive player but what the abs saw in him as somebody that can take the puck and take it to the net and create some chaos He's definitely going to get back to that player for sure
1: agreed So this week, things start getting busy for the Avs. Uh, The Avs uh, will uh, have four games,
0: as we mentioned earlier. Four games this week, including three in the span of four days. Uh, The first will be coming up on Monday against the visiting Ottawa Senators. That'll be a 6.30pm start time at Ball Arena, so get there early. Get there even earlier if you can to uh, accommodate for the uh, new COVID uh, guidelines that are in place. Uh, Two nights later, the ABS will host the Anaheim Ducks at ball. That will be a 7 p.m. start time. And after Thanksgiving, the ABS will be in Dallas on Friday evening to face the Stars. That is a 5.30 p.m. Denver start time. And the next night, they will be home to host the Nashville Predators. That is a 7 p.m. start. So this is our first uh, back-to-back series of the regular
1: season against two divisions. <laughs> with, yeah, with travel.
3: <clears throat> yeah, this is going to be a big test for them to start playing like this again and sort of a buffet of different style teams. We'll see how good Anaheim is. I know there's a lot of skepticism there, but they're playing good hockey and it could be a decent test and then get some division games against teams we haven't played in a while in Dallas and Nashville. And yeah, all those start times are strange. The People are going to be confused this week.
4: <laughs> yeah,
2: why not have games at different times every night? It's cool. <laughs> <laughs>
3: so, I guess I'd just like to see some consistency that the Abs kind of got back on track with their bad team week there and, but now they got to take care of business against Ottawa it should be rusty. And then you got to start winning some division games too. Like you got to keep Dallas behind you and you got to start moving up on Nashville.
1: Yeah. They had a nice
2: vacation in the Northwest. So <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is what Yeah,
3: back to reality.
2: Yeah. Um, this is kind of what they should have been preparing for all month. You know, we, we've looked at this month on the schedule. You kind of looked and said, um, they might need this time to
1: figure out some things and maybe get a, a little bit healthier. Um, so this
2: is where it all begins. It's going to be like this until basically the Olympic
1: break. If that's what we're calling it. The February freeze. In the February will. freeze.
2: Hockey free February.
3: <laughs> I'm a little apprehensive about them playing this much, just because like the injuries have been bad when they're not <laughs> playing. It's a little scary, but and then now when you have a guy miss, he missed
1: four games, but they're just gonna
3: have to deal with it.
1: Yeah, That's why you lift all them weights.
0: And things won't get any easier after this week because then the Avs kick off a five-game road trip beginning in Toronto on December 1st.
3: I'm kind of looking forward to that. uh, See more teams we haven't in in a while. And it'd be good for the guys to get up in those different cities. And the pace on that trip isn't too bad. So it shouldn't totally kill them.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm really looking forward to is, you know, we haven't seen i mean it it was weird seeing that graphic i think it was 620 days since they had been in vancouver (laughs) um and it's you know it's going to be a lot of that when we talk about you know especially the toronto and in montreal games and you know i couldn't tell you the last time we played ottawa but um you know and it's it's definitely super weird that we've got two division opponents that we haven't seen in over a year.
3: The game in Ottawa might, might might've been one of the ones that they scrapped in 2020.
0: Uh, Actually, the, uh, the abs last played the senators twice in the span of one week in February in 2020. They played them in Ottawa on February 6th. That was a four, one win and at home at the, building formerly known as Pepsi Center on February 11th, a 3-0 victory.
3: I think I was at that last Ottawa game. But then it was Montreal. was There's something like that where I, maybe it was the Montreal game that they did not get to do. It could have been the home game, though. So anyway, but yeah, I can't even think of when they were in Toronto last. Probably fall of 2019, something like that.
1: Uh, I think so,
0: because there was that hold to do about it's Cadre's return to Toronto. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's all, and let's be honest, it's also refreshing to get a little bit of real media. Yeah. You know, hopefully they're not in a four-game losing streak.
2: That is, it, it generally when the ABS make this trip to Toronto and Montreal, then, you know, suddenly... The LeBruns and Elliott Friedmans of the world wake up and say, Hey, we should say something about the Avs, do a little digging or whatever. And, you know, you, you get some tidbits.
3: Exactly. It's, I don't like the Montreal games on the back to back. They won't be able to spend time there, but usually when they have a day off there, you get some really good stuff. Some media. I guess Sam will be traded for Duran while we're there. <laughs> so maybe I don't need three days worth of that content, but um, yeah, it's nice to go up there and have them care. I mean, let's be honest, it makes it more fun.
0: Yeah, yeah. Last time that the ABS were up there, uh, actually, was also a back to back with Toronto and Montreal. It was December of 2019. The ABS were up there in Toronto with a three one victory on the fourth. The next night, they beat Montreal three to two.
3: I think it's interesting that a lot of the road trips end up being at the same time of year. Like You can almost basically catch I don't want to go see a team on the road like that, you know, what time of year it probably would be.
1: Yeah, like we always
2: used to play Boston on Patriots Day and that kind of thing.
3: I hope they do that again, because I might want to go, go that one. But
2: yeah, I mean that's that's a great like time always- to visit Boston if you're able to spend like a week <laughs> outside of Boston as well because it's generally um, a good time to be in northern New England for fall colors.
3: Yeah, it might might be sort of in the queue. But <laughs> <laughs> so like Montreal in December, it just seems like they're always in Montreal in December. Like that's that's when they played that infamous. <laughs> we know we're toast game in, uh, what is it? sixteen, seventeen? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, um, at least it'll be interesting. That's for sure. It will. So it might be a little bit
0: before you hear our voices around the digital microphones again, but until then check out Jackie's articles on Grugandereview.com. Uh, I will be at, uh, ball on, of course, the home games, so it's a little bit early of a start for Monday, so that may be pushing it for live streams on Twitch, but I will do what I can. I won't make any promises, at least for Monday, but I'll be there with all the great Anaheim coverage one can expect out of a fan blog for the Avs.
3: (laughs) Try our best.
1: That's all we can do. Uh, So uh, until then,
0: have yourselves a great thanksgiving
3: you too
1: thank you the
0: same vlad thank you thanks for listening everybody